Radio check. Over. I look back on some of the stuff that we used to do back then, and I'm like, oh my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> do you remember what some of those things were? But I do. I'm not too sure if they're suitable for prime time. <laughs> we, we can edit. We can edit? Okay. Uh, well, yeah. There was, there was chasing their ex around their camp with a hammer high on God knows what. <laughs> nice. Oh, God. There was that one time boy responded to this. It was some rave had let out and everybody in the place had just started coming away from this place like zombies and some of them were giggling and some of them were fighting and some of them were just had no idea about where they were and needed to just be herded back to their camp. We had a whole three people there to do that. Wait, you guys <laughs> so have 60, 70 people who were stratospherically out there and we're going, you over there, you over there. Hey, yeah, follow those blinky lights over there. <laughs> and so it's like Fred used to say, you, you move a crowd, a person at a time. And so we find somebody with a blinky light and we go, okay, your camp is off that way. And then you gather three or four people and you go, follow that blinky light. <laughs> and it, it eventually worked like that, but it was, that was terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you don't really have a way to, like, track them down or follow their story afterwards to know what nope. happened. <laughs> no. But if no, there's we no just body there in the morning, then... No, exactly, yeah. You just, you send people out there, you know, for, like, a half an hour later to see if there's anybody face down on the playa and, you know, pray to God there isn't. And, um, and yeah, that's the best you can do is just follow up. <laughs> with right on that strong shift leading. And, uh, oh. Digger, I've heard... Um, rumors, but would love some confirmation that your graveyard shifts were where the knock-knock jokes started. True? Could very well be. I mean, we did anything and everything to keep everybody awake on graveyard shift. <laughs> you know, tell me what you're looking at right now. Does anybody have any good jokes? And the, the dispatchers couldn't stand us because it was just chatter, 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 chatter. But it kept people awake at four o'clock in the morning when things started getting really cold. <laughs> and really? Before there was coffee, you know, available 24-7. Um, and it was more were, you, were those Sorry, the ESD dispatchers or like who was monitoring the channel besides the Rangers? Not um, one? Well, it's back then, uh, ESD, Rangers, Gate, everybody was on the same uh, system. So if it was uh, an org call, you know, it came through the Rangers radio. If it was an ESD call, it came through on the Rangers radio. If it was a Ranger call, it came through on ESDs and orgs radios. And, uh -huh. and um, so we all shared one, I think they call it a trunk. Uh-huh. Yep. But it um, just as a way to get the knock knock jokes were a way to get people to stay awake, you know, or um, <laughs> sometimes it would fill in and, you know, we could always do a break break and everybody would just shut up and we, okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a way to break through the goofy traffic to get to something serious, but still right. keep it fun in the meantime. Yeah. And maybe some sing-alongs also. If not this we did here. that as well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Any classic shout-outs you want to throw out there? Oh, my God. I miss uh, – there's too many, man. I miss y'all every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I miss Dog Boy. I don't remember what happened to him. Uh, East Coast. I wonder what happened to Silent Wolf. Him and the R&R &R team were, like, the saving grace of my graveyard shifts. Why because, was that? I mean, you know, you'd get a call that you have – okay, you have two pairs of people. You have one in North Camp and one in South Camp because – four people showed up for the graveyard shift and you're freaking out going, <gasps> but then rapid response um, would show up on their mountain bikes and they could be anywhere in the city in like five or six minutes max, you know, <laughs> yep. they could be way up at Disturbia and you know, way at the North end. And there's a call in, I don't know, some uh, RV at three o'clock. Well, then would have been, I don't even know what the streets were called back then, but just say somewhere like around three o'clock way out in the perimeter and they're there like that <laughs> yeah. because they would just hop on the perimeter, book their bikes around and yeah, 
There's a uh, Loki and Billy Raitt on that crew. East Coast. So yeah. she, they're actually still around. Not all of the people that you just said, but Digger, do you remember what year it was when someone started talking to you about making Sanctuary or having like Green Dots be their own thing? Or like, how did that, you were really involved in the beginning of the Green Dot yeah. organization and I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Um, I want to say that was like 99 or so. The Rangers role was getting a little more defined. It wasn't just six people wandering around with a bunch of FRS radios, you know, <laughs> it was like, we're doing emergency services. So you need medical response. Um, there was uh, interactions with law enforcement, which quite frankly, weren't always as good as they had been. <laughs> um, so we had uh, people who were designated to uh, liaison, if you will, um, with law enforcement and to try to smooth out uh, infractions that occurred at Burning Man. Um, and another one was how do you keep people out of medical? The language then was from consuming unnecessary medical resources. Yeah. And so we said, well, you know what, we can set up a chill space. And... Uh, that became sanctuary. Originally, there was no sanctuary, and it was just green dots. So he says, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Send a green dot out to yada, yada, yada. And then I think Black Swan was actually the one that ran with it and got a structure going, got the little dome going, stocked yeah. it up. I want to say that was 99 or 2000. And she made that space. And we set about staffing it. Uh, like myself, Black Swan was there. Uh, Rocket. Yeah. Uh, put in a lot of time there. Um, there was a bunch of other folks as well. Those kids from Vancouver that came out from the, the um, Ibogaine Clinic, there was a, a Harvard Medical School professor who was doing early research on um, uh, ecstasy as it used to combat um, trauma and PTSD, trauma and depression. And he was, um, with the permission of the org, using Sanctuary as a uh, a place where you can gather data and do stuff. And they were fantastic. I mean, uh, the first year of Sanctuary, we had like maybe four or five people committed to cover the entire freaking week, which was, wow. in hindsight, completely inadequate. But they just came out and they said, oh, yeah, sign us up for this, sign us up for that. And they saved us at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what their, I don't remember, I remember a couple of faces. I don't Are you talking about names. maps? Um, they were affiliated with Maps. They were affiliated with Maps. Right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. actually maybe how Maps got there. I believe that. so. Yeah, Rick Doblin, I think his name was. Yeah, he's recently retired from Maps, but he was there at the beginning as well and helping us staff it. Yeah, and it turned out to be a resource that we didn't know we needed. <laughs> and then you got there yeah. and you realized, wow, we really needed this a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, I remember uh, we had a Korean War era GP medium tent, and that had been at least for a minute or two called Hotel Moron. Yep. <laughs> then it kind of became sanctuary. The way it was explained to me was, uh, let's hotel moron because these are people who are too dumb to ask any of the rest of the um, whatever it was, 25,000 or whatever it was at that point, um, mm -hmm. participants for help, but they're really programmed to come to the authority figurine. Yep. So we're like, okay, you know, you can sleep here. Yeah. Remember that with, uh, there was SMA mom and SMA Pete. There was literally like two or three cots off yeah. in the corner <laughs> yeah. and you would have to you know stick somebody on each person one-on-one -on -one because you had no idea what they were going to do people would literally like get up and start swinging at people <laughs> or they'd get up and then just run out into the middle of the desert <laughs> and it's your job to sit there with a the radio and follow them <laughs> and make sure that they don't end up like over in the railroad tracks or at the springs or something <laughs> right because people who were still weren't people still driving at that time um let's see i think they stopped driving after 96 okay and then, yeah, 97 was Hualapai. That was when they laid out the grid for the first time. 
And then that was, let's see, the, but the Hotel Moron tent, we had that through, I want to say 98 or 99. Yeah. At least 98, definitely. Maybe 99, I forget. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, and then we decided, you know, yeah, there's got to be some less pejorative name than Hotel Moron. Yes. <laughs> we'll call it Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. But the Black Swan, they came up with that mm. as something nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, it maintains people's dignity at least. <laughs> I have a memory of like, and I don't know when it is, this is like this time period of, we had green dots, but with the, we didn't have a facility, but we had the Hotel Moron, but it wasn't Sanctuary. I think it was um, maybe when ESD broke off. So there was not going to be red dots and blue dots mm-hmm. anymore because they were all going to leave. And then shortly after that, that um, there wasn't going to be green dots either. Hmm because some of them were going over to do mental health branch or something. And Joseph was basically saying, we don't want to do this babysitting stuff anymore. I don't know if you remember any of this, but I was living on your couch mostly at the the time. (laughs) And that just seemed to rub a few of us the wrong way. And I remember contacting you and Black Swan, which contacting you was like, hey, Derek, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, Black Swan, Back when we used to smoke in the house, man. Yes. Good old days, right? We should not let this happen. Like, we should keep this capacity, Yeah. right, within the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, we got this tent, you know, and, like, I don't know, that somehow seemed to be a thing. But I remember talking to you about it and Black Swan about it, and then I don't remember talking to Rocket, but I remember that she was the third of saying, like, mm-hmm. can this be whatever, you know, mm-hmm. saved, grabbed onto. I couldn't do it, right? But you guys were the pros. Yeah. And then it seemed that it worked, right? And I think Black Swan really did lead the charge in so many ways and just you know, kept on that shit. But um, yeah. you, you remember that? Or do you remember any, any memories about that? I do, I do. Because um, ESD was saying that they're medical professionals and that they do medicine. It's a waste of their time to do babysitting, which, okay, yeah, it is, you know? <laughs> Um, but I remember we, you and I were very, very concerned about staying with the original ethos of the event and people mm-hmm. helping people, creating a community that takes care of people. Yeah. And how do we balance uh, the community taking care of itself with uh, people that want to go and perform their specialized function? You know, and uh, uh-huh. I think we, we eventually, uh, and the first year that, sanctuary was around esd loved us because they could just take somebody who's obviously just tripping and they bring him over to the tent and just make sure this guy doesn't stop breathing for the next 12 hours we're like okay <laughs> you know it's something i at that point i was not uh, a trained medical professional i am now um but yeah it's it was to the extent that we could sit there with somebody and try to figure out what they're going through and keep an eye on them to make sure they don't stop breathing that frees up medical to go deal with more serious injuries like well, you've probably seen a bunch of them. <laughs> you know, burn wounds, uh, uh, T-bar cuts, uh, or T-stick cuts, um, sunburns, dehydration. It worked, but you're right. For a time there, it, w- it didn't seem like it was going to work and that we were going to become a little too organized <laughs> and not as uh, organic, creative as, as uh, we had been in the past. And, you know, of course, I'm not a huge fan of structure. I never have been. <laughs> But when you got that many people showing up, you have to have some kind of structure. I'm older and wiser and realize that now, even though 20 years ago I didn't. <laughs> yeah.
Um, what are some of the events, if any, that stick out to you or you remember when you were working in sanctuary or helping people out? Um, oh, God. That wow. were memorable. Memorable. Um, in 98, when we had Hotel Moron, there was a guy named Joe from Colorado who decided that it'd be a really, really good idea to come out to Burning Man with his kids and then drop a lot of acid and then dump all of the guilt he's felt about being an absentee parent for the last 15 years or whatever onto his kids while he's tripping balls on acid. (laughs) My gosh, that's like a whole family intervention. That's intense. So yeah, he wound up in Hotel Moron and it was my job to sit there with him. And he was turning on and off so fast. Like, uh, it almost, it seemed like it was hitting like mushrooms where he'd just ah, for about two minutes and then he'd go back to being really chill and then he would, it would hit him again and then he'd be really chill. <laughs> and one of the moments where it hit him, he, this guy's probably, I'm going to say 200, 215 pounds. At the time I weighed like maybe 150. Whoa. He jumps up off the cot and starts swinging at people. And, <laughs> and SMA mom is looking at me going, get him down, get him down. And I'm like, I, how you know <laughs> and then so i think i like i yelled at him and pointed like that you know to the wall so I'm hoping that he'd look at something monotone and just chill out he didn't he ran straight through the wall of the medical tent and just started hauling ass out into the open playa <laughs> it's like i'm oh looking at this mom and pete and i'm going oh, what do i uh, do with him? they're like i don't know so i just grabbed a radio and i ran after him <laughs> Figuring that, okay, if he collapses out in the middle of the open playa, at least I'll be there to radio for some help. <laughs> totally. Perfect. And I followed Joe for two, two and a half miles or maybe more. <laughs> and we eventually just sat down and, you know, sat in the middle of absolute nothingness, looked up at the sky, and just sat there in silence with the occasional radio squawk for like a couple mm-hmm. hours. And uh, I will never forget that as long as I live. I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. awesome. And it ended up being such a beautiful um, uh, experience for him and me. Um, there was that other stuff. There's a million other stories, I'm sure. <laughs> did you ever see him again after that evening? I did together. Nope. nope. That's the nature of the work that we do, though. You don't see people ever again. Well, every once in a while you do. Like somebody will come back with such gratitude. Oh my God, you saved me on Tuesday. <laughs> like, yeah, I saved like 16 people on Tuesday. Oh, cool, man. I'm glad I was able to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe, if you're out there, Digger says hi. (laughs) So one of the things that makes Digger so good at that job of talking to people who are having situations is because he's a good talker. And he's a good bringer together of people. And in the ranger world, back in the day, they had ranger socials. And they were polite. And these guys were bored. So... Before there was rangers talking shit, after there were socials, there was the Monday night gathering at the Poet and Patriot. Yes, folks, before Mondays in L.A., there was the Poet and Patriot. And as a kid in New York City, wanting to be more rangerly, seeing the email posts that came out that Digger wrote changed my world and when I finally ended up getting to the Poet and Patriot in Santa Cruz, I was so happy I bought a t-shirt at the bar they all laughed at me hysterically, I didn't care and it was a wonderful, wonderful evening and 
I wish they were still going on, but they're not. But here's an example of the press releases you would get about Monday night, Santa Cruz, Poet and Patriot. Read by our esteemed thespian, Ranger Saturn. U.S. decries pub non-cooperation. Monday, September 23rd, 3.09 p.m. Eastern Time. By Digger, not an Associated Press writer. Washington AP. The Bush administration criticized Santa Cruz area Black Rock Rangers on Monday, saying the Ranger Monday night siege on the poet and patriot aggravated U.S. efforts to supply a safe haven for the Bush children to drink underage. Secretary of State Colin Powell told Ranger Haggis in a phone call Saturday night that the siege was contrary to President Bush's goals for peace in the Bush family and reform of the AFT. State Department spokesman Richard Boucher said Monday Powell wanted to convey Bush's deep concern about the situation. However, Boucher declined to say whether the administration, which has called for hard alcohol and not just beer, wants the Rangers to withdraw their forces from the pub. Let me just say that we're working fairly intensively with both sides and other bars in the area to try to calm the situation to help resolve it, Boucher said. The Bush administration has demanded that Digger hand over rangers in training in the pub whom Bush links to his daughter's competition and terror attacks. Digger has refused and requested more Mexican food. Earlier, Bush admonished the rangers through the White House spokesman Ari Fleischer, who said the president considered the siege detrimental to peacemaking and the reform he seeks. American officials have conveyed the president's views to Ranger Adwali. Fleischer said in an apparent reference to Powell and Santa Cruz Ambassador Chris Kelly. Monday night bartender Summer, who was reached for comment earlier this afternoon, reported, I did what I always do when those federal troops storm in here like they deserve something. After carting them, I told them to shut up, change that keg, and get the hell out of my bar. Bush in June called for Digger's ouster, but he never explained how he expected that to come about. The administration's third assault on the pub this year seemed designed to force the Rangers into compliance. Speaking to a reporter from his compound on the DPW ranch in Nevada, Ranger Crow added, It seems what they need is more safety. And get this, you will not believe the next bit that Digger wrote. Senator Joseph Biden, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, said such standoffs tend to raise the Rangers' profile despite the Rangers' reputation as non-confrontational mediators. It makes it harder for the end result that we're looking for, which is to marginalize them by bringing the Rangers into the governance that are willing to party with the Bush daughters, which Digger is not. Biden, Democrat from Delaware, told CNN's Late Edition. Bush got a firm expression of support from Representative Henry Hyde, Republican of Illinois, chairman of the House International Relations Committee. Ranger camaraderie is a weapon that is pretty hard to deter, he said on CNN. Right now, I would find it hard to criticize them. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, the poet, yep. <laughs> dear and dear to my heart because that's how I met Joe and also... And Keeper takes a moment to ask just exactly how those... Poet and Patriot Nights started out. I mean, you were there, Crow. Uh, we're <laughs> hanging out in my house and going, uh, we're bored. It's Monday night. And I think at the time, too, um, Rangers getting together were billed as, you know, socials. And it was like some kind of an official get-together. Yeah. You know, and we wanted to sort of create something that was a whole lot less formal and where you could really let your hair down and just scream. Yeah. And it started out as... Uh, yeah, as a response to the socials. And there was at that point, there was a bunch of us living in Santa Cruz. It was you, me, Haggis was there, Odd Wally, Boston, um, 
Sadie was around. Uh, yeah, I think Boston maybe not quite yet. Not quite yet. Haggis right. was like kind of commuting or something. Yeah. Were Freeze and Mary down in Santa Cruz at that time? They, uh, they weren't. They were um, up in Burlingame. Uh, but there was a bunch of other folks in the area, like, you know, Rigged would drive down from Santa Clara. Uh, Bob Smith would show up from, I think he lived in Palo Alto somewhere. Uh, Badger would come down occasionally. Um, so we've just, we started doing it. And, okay, look, at 8 p.m. on Monday night, we're going to be at this little bar in Santa Cruz called The Poet. If you're a ranger, you want to show up, do it. And we would just post out email announcements every single week. Well, I made up the disorientation meeting. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you would always add, in parentheses, it's not a search. <laughs> which it clearly was but INAS um, yep <laughs> and then, then we it became the our dominus because it was yep. a ranger disorientation meeting mm-hmm. it's not social but yep. I, you remember you were like I know where we're going we're going to Poet and the Patriot yep they have pictures and those are my boys there that you, you knew them and, and it's like, a walking distance to my house so nobody has to drive anywhere yeah. well unless you every Monday Digger would yeah. the list. like guess yeah. what it's Monday <laughs> guess where the fuck we're going you know yep. like it just was constantly kind of being like hey you guys I know a bunch of you live pretty close like so it'd be frog mm-hmm. driving over or whatever mm-hmm. but that was always a thing I think like yeah. tempo so- stayed up and people started realizing hey, yeah how we need to be Sometimes it was just me and Crow hanging out there, and sometimes there'd be like 14 people because, especially like after the burn every year, yeah. people were looking for the Burning Man community back in their local communities. This is before regionals were a thing. Well, before regionals were much of a thing, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, a bunch of people get back to Santa Cruz, and all of a sudden, oh, I want to be around Burning Man people. Well, the Rangers are gathering at the Poet. Yeah. And so you get people, you get Rangers to show up, you get people yeah. from different camps to show up. Uh, you get curious onlookers that are like, oh, who are those people in weird furry hats and blinky lights? <laughs> yeah. Remember, like, it seemed like everybody, I don't know, that I knew lived in San Francisco or Oakland. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. so they were always, like, hanging out, doing stuff, and we were a million miles away in Santa Cruz, and we kind of started, well, let's get our own thing, you know? Yeah. We did. It was a thing for a while. <laughs> I had an, another ulterior motive. Something that was uh, nice about it was I was the ranger at large. That hadn't existed, and then suddenly it did, and we're like, what the fuck is this thing anyway? People came, and we listened to them yeah. because this issue was coming up or that. And I remember having, like, a big, long session with uh, Dooney Dan about whether or not – because remember, he was teaching, I think, at UCSC. Yeah. Um, whether or not they should have this new policy that was being proposed about – requiring you to have been a burner for at least one year before you became a ranger. Yeah. He's like, that's just going to lose us so many people, you know? And, <laughs> uh, but I remember just, there's all these discussions that were relevant. Mm-hmm. Like that always was really informative to me to, yeah. what, to hear what whoever, like toe cutter, whoever, right. You know, that right. comes there, chime in on something and there'd be a full on round table. Yeah. And it just sort of organically happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which was, it was, and that's that we were able to actually, <clears throat> recollections solve a lot of issues uh, just by doing that, sitting on our yeah. beers. Okay, they may not have been, you know, solved well, <laughs> yeah. but we at least had a response and we'd at least, you know, listen to people hashing out the issues and we're able to prevent multiple sides of yeah. uh, an issue or a policy or an argument. Um, and it, you know, we could wake up and, you know, we weren't too hungover, we could put it in an email. <laughs> Here's yeah. what we discussed last night. Longshot and Ernest, independently, who are both friends of your guys and I was saying I was going to be in the area and they both were like oh, I totally should go to the poet I was like I don't really know those guys at all um what should I do or what should I say they're like just 
bring beer. It'll be fine. <laughs> Showed up. We had beers with probably, I don't know, 10 people or so that night. Um, I think mm-hmm. T-Rex was there. Um, and then guys like, well, let's just go back to Digger's house. And great. I brought beer. Great. All right. Yep. Let's stay up all night talking and it'll be who yep. it was. Yeah. Awesome. Do you remember other topics crow throughout a couple of what you guys were listening to or talking about at the time? Like, so when Gate split off, they split off in the sense of like they became a separate department of the Rangers. Yeah. Right. And then they there was there was the posse, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was running things. And then it became brass, B R S S B R R S S, Blackrock Ranger Senior Staff. And and Freeze was sitting on that group. And so yeah. was Joseph. And so was Bear and Danger and Bogman. Then there was E S D R, right? Um, that was like emergency service department of the Rangers, very much like that. But then they broke off entirely. Like, okay, we're totally not of you, you know, and, and, and that maybe was the last thing out of that series to happen. And I think that was 2001 or two. I'm trying to remember when that was, but I remember feeling like we were really losing something there, you know, and, uh, Mm -hmm. what's going on? Yeah. (laughs) I used to take pride in our ability to multitask, you know, uh, because one of the strengths of the Rangers has always been, in my opinion, just the diverse amount of people and skills that those people bring you know, to it. And you need somebody who can weld. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? Ranger so-and-so can do it. You need somebody who can talk down a tripper. Oh, go get Rocket. You need somebody who can uh, yeah. fix a golf cart or, <laughs> yeah. or help set up a tent or uh, make a radio tower out of a broken toaster and a box of toothpicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then when you, I was afraid that when we started splintering like that, that we would lose, lose something that I took a lot of pride in, which was our ability to solve so many different problems. How did the Rangers feel different after those? Did your fear become reality or come up? It actually, no, it didn't become reality. Um, it, it, we were still all members of the Burning Man community. Mm-hmm. It's just that it became a little harder to reach certain people. <laughs> you know? I couldn't just get on my radio, click the button, and talk to somebody at the gate. <laughs> uh, let's so see. I had to go through. Each of those groups had been had their own radio channels, their own dispatchers, or shift leader comm systems. At that point. Um, they, they they didn't initially have their own comm systems. They had their own comm channels. Uh, so you could like, you'd be on the Rangers and you flick over the dial to this one and oh, now you're on gate. You flick it over to here and now you're on org. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so used to just being able to, you know, cue my mic and Hey, this is digger is so-and-so out there. <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, they would chime in or somebody would tell me that they're sleeping or whatever. Yeah. So it, it added another level of, uh, another step to the communication process, which really wasn't a big deal. You know, in some sense we're on one larger team. But it was like the removal of those skill sets from what we called a ranger and making it separate as well felt weird to me initially. You know, some I guess some of the ESC people too, right? They're like, hey, I really want to be over there with you guys. Yeah. But I got to go where my specialties are or something, you know, like that was right. like I'm driven to be over here. You know, it was at the same time where well, the whole green dot thing was shaking out with Joseph that there was a negotiation about there's not going to be more blue dots. That means there's not going to be rangers touching anybody basically. And I was mm-hmm. like, Joseph, are you telling me that a volunteer ranger is the only person in the city that's not allowed to touch someone? Mm-hmm. You know, because any citizen could operate right. to their scope of practice or whatever. And he's like, yeah, you're right. So let's clearly define what they can do. Mm-hmm. First of all, they call us, right? Yeah. And then they go into action to stabilize and 
that has mutated over the years of like, you know, nothing beyond what your mom can treat, you know, the band-aids. Right. Because liability, liability, liability. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now all yeah. of USD, basically, they're limited to BLS, whether they're an MD or not, because the contractor does ALS and above, and it has that insurance and that liability. Do you remember, this is a random thought, but just kind of on the specialty thing, do you remember Yellow Dots? Rings a bell, but no. <laughs> it only existed for like a year or two. Mm. And it was also only very few people. I wasn't mm. one of them, but it was like DBK, Baby Fearless, mm. uh, Bogman, of course. Um, but they were, uh, Bob, I think they were, they were scene commanders, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so like yeah. 10 minutes. I don't know, like, maybe it was like two years or a year, but it didn't stay there. It didn't really stick. I think right. it's actually what became shift leads, right? What actually mm. got to kind of rolled into what is now a shift lead or something. Yeah. I do remember that, yeah. I hadn't thought of that in years. I remember the first year 007s rolled out and we were all like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> How did that come to be? I'm, let's see. Burning Man just got so big that one bad faith character could do a lot of damage to a lot of people um, to the point where people's behavior has always been crazy. Duh, it's Burning Man. But to the point when that behavior threatens the lives and safety of people in the community um, that we needed the power to kick somebody out of the event. Uh, up until then, we would call law enforcement and Washington would come in or Pershing would come in and uh, they would decide whether this uh, person, what they've done justifies an hour and a half car trip, you know, Southeast of Reno. Yeah. But we really didn't have any official capacity to, curb obviously dangerous behavior like somebody's high on drugs and driving their rv through north camp at 25 30 miles an hour ouch no that person needs to be 007 <laughs> yeah. how you go about that and whose judgment call it is or is there a team judgment call or um because we all cherish burning man so much we don't want to deny that experience to someone but you got to weigh that against people dying yeah you know and people being seriously injured or hurt yeah. Uh, and that's how that the 007 originally came up. Do you guys Let's see. When that was? Uh, I was 2000, 2001, something like that? Something like that. I remember <laughs> one of these times of uh, Bogman like, kind of sharing that and seeing what people's reaction was. Yeah. You know, yep, we're going to call them 007s. Just stay and listen to see what you say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I don't know, it's pretty, it started off, it wasn't randomly happening and it wasn't didn't evolve slowly through a series of fuck-ups like some things, right? It was right. like, I, I remember pretty clearly that it started off, it's going to take two of them. Right. They're going to make this decision. You know, I, I remember like something previous to this, and I don't remember seeing this. I just remember hearing this legend. That was that more than once, danger had taken people out. Mm -hmm. um, he'd say, get in the car, son, and take them out and put them at limbo, right? Mm -hmm. And like when I think about that now, I'm like, that does not sound like something that we would have done or should have been doing or whatever. But yep. it was this. This was the previous alternative that I had heard of from mm -hmm. 007 was like, and they might just take you out and drop you off at Limbo. And I didn't know Highway 447. Yes, something like 14 miles yeah. south of the Empire Store. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Like it's, it's both of these two things. Okay. For a second, I'm like in limbo, like, you know, like on their way to hell, you know, like, <laughs> no, no, it's an actual physical location that's actually named perfectly for this function, but there's nothing there, right? It's just like where these roads meet. Well, there is yeah. a dirt road off of 47. 
the other side leaves the Poeto Peak, right? So it's like right there. But the only thing about it was, you know, in theory, right, you would, they would be out and they would be hitchhiking out, right? They would have been told that they were kicked out. They weren't welcome anymore. But not much way to enforce that. And I think they probably just as easily could get a ride back in as they could out, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's just random. But that was what I – one of the only – previous systems i know of for what a 007 had been before yeah. uh, organized and then you know, how big of a change is that like you're still kind of screwed like the guy's drunk he can't drive none of his friends we can find um there's no bus to reno we can't put him on the highway the cops won't take him we don't want him in gerlach yep. we don't want him on any of our properties <laughs> so, yep. so like they're walking back and forth from the gate being told no seriously fuck off. and they yep. walk back out to the highway and try to hitchhike for a while and then walk back to the gate again i don't know yeah wasn't a perfect solution, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's temporary, yeah. right? Another thing that stands out to me about what you were saying is that you actually knew, like, you all knew each other, and you knew each other's skill sets and strengths and what you could bring to the table, so you kind of knew who to ask for in whatever yeah. given situation. Yeah. That's mind-boggling when I think about, you know, we're close to a 1,000 rangers at a time on playa, never mind whoever else is in all the other wow. departments. <laughs> uh, a really different world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I can't even wrap my head around that. <laughs> a thousand? <laughs> Maybe like 800 at any given time. 825. Wow. <laughs> We're training over a thousand a year. Damn. There's over 2,000 in the database. Like, it's big. It's really big. And one of the things that's come up for people in this, you know, in our current time is how do you get to know people? Like, I want to talk, I want to know who's out there that shares this interest or does this thing or has this skill set. And it's hard to know that when the group is so big. And also it can sometimes feel to people like it's really clicky because, oh, like, well, you're talking to Digger and Crow and I don't know them and they're talking to you and I don't know how to talk to them or something like that, you know, that just kind of happens because whatever people happen to walk shift together back in the day. And so now they're friends and it's hard to figure out how to break into that. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like when you guys were there, people kind of camped together, hung out together, socialized together, yeah. knew each other. Diggers slept you know, under <laughs> trucks and trailers, you know, I think. Oh, I get it. So, like, you slept on Digger's couch in the default world for yeah. years, and then he mm-hmm. slept under your truck for years of burning them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a Sometimes, nice yeah. there. Or some <laughs> other truck or trailer, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, but, I mean like, there was a few here, and the, they're, they're, like, the biggest cluster of rangers yeah, there were some of them yeah, together, and they were over by where Berlin and ended up being, right? Three o'clock, and see, incidentally, right? They, they were there, and but I was going to say that, like, I seemed to also, as outside of that kind of main cluster, the rest of us were seemed to be scattered around. Like, we, it wasn't like you're a ranger and you just hang out with rangers all the time. You know, it was like because yeah. it's more like that now than it you know, used to be. But there would be like a representative from all these different camps and areas and, you know, subsets of Burning Man that had had rangers that would come and do their stuff, say high five each other, and they were friends with other rangers, but they would go back to their own community. Yeah, they go back to Giggsville or go back to the 515 Lounge or they go back to Spike's Vampire Hostel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or the Costco Soulmate Trading Outlet. Or <laughs> I can't speak for today because I haven't been a ranger in any official capacity since 2006? 2005 or 2006, I forget. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, we back then we were much more interspersed in the community. 
Um, I know in later years when I was rangering, when we had Tokyo and Berlin, um, I used to camp in Tokyo. I actually enjoyed camping with other rangers. It was a nice being in Tokyo just because if I was asleep at seven o'clock at night and I knew I had to be on shift at, you know, 11, there was always somebody going, oh yeah, Digger, you're on schedule, wake up. (laughs) Or uh, if I got back, you know, from shift at eight o'clock in the morning, just buzz out of my mind and my eyeballs are this big and I've been up for 10 hours and, you know, there's always somebody sitting there going, oh, here's a vodka and Skittles, drink it and go to sleep. I'm like, bless you, thank you so much. You know, and crash it on a cot or a hammock. And there were people that understood what you had just gone through. That was really, really valuable. I enjoyed that. It wasn't like I'm going back to my camp, you know, at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning after having been up all night. My friends are just beginning to get up and make coffee and plan all the cool stuff they're going to do for the day. I'm like, shut up. That's it for episode two of Digger. There's more Digger that's a little disjointed, and I may put it together for Digger part three. Part three, part three. But I'm not sure yet. Uh, We have upcoming talks with more women of khaki. In fact, the next couple are all about women. It's going to be great. You will love it. Um, Go out and protest. Go out and ranger. Uh, Make your community better by taking your ranger skills and seeing what needs to be done and doing it. Just go do it because tomorrow, if you do it well, people will think that that's been happening forever. That's what we're trying to get everyone to do. Just go out and do it. Thanks a lot. Hope you enjoyed Radio Check, our episode number 12, our physical out in the world episode 12. And I hear the Burning Man live people are kind of feeling a little bit behind us because they only have four episodes out so far. And that's okay, guys. It's okay. The Rangers are in front all the time. Don't worry about it. You'll get there, and it'll look great, and you can take all the credit you want. We don't care. It's not about us. It's about the final action. So get those stories out there. Get people behind the microphone. Tell interesting stories people want to hear. And if they're interesting, we'll listen. Have a great week. Thanks a lot, people. Radio check.